May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Benjamin Franklin said the only things, the only two things that are certain in life are death and taxes. Will Rogers said that the only real difference between death and taxes is that death doesn't get worse every time Congress meets. I think there's truth to that one too. But there are more certainties in life than simply death and taxes, aren't there? There are lots of things that have to be done. You have lots of things to do, things that you simply must get done. I mean, there might be people, maybe a person or two, who came to church this morning thinking, maybe I shouldn't go. I have some things I have to do. And maybe you're thinking to yourself, how did he know that I was thinking that this morning? Is he clairvoyant? Yes. No, I'm not. But I could be. I, I know that because we're all busy. We are busy people. We all have lists. We check off the list, things that we have to do. And each one of these items has to get done. If someone doesn't buy the turkey, there is no Thanksgiving dinner. (laughs) If someone doesn't wrap the presents, the children won't have gifts to open in the morning. If someone doesn't get the car to the shop, I'm not getting to work the next day. These are things that have to get done. And on and on and on the list goes. We have lots of things to do. I have been thinking this moment right now has been on my mind all week. I had a lot of things to do to get ready for right now. There was lots of preparation, lots of work that had to happen. Prayer, study, try to organize my thoughts, which is a monumental Herculean task uh, to do, and get them into some kind of reasonable logical flow. Um, And most of all, I got out of bed this morning, you know, like, who is it that said 90% of life is just simply showing up? Yeah, I mean, so there it is, you know, a whole week and 90%. Do you remember um, when you were maybe 9 or 10 or 11 and it was summertime and you went to your parent, your mom or your dad, and you said, Mom, I'm bored. There's nothing to do. There's nothing to do. Parents hate that word. They hate that phrase. They cannot stand it for two reasons. Number one, they know that room is a mess upstairs. There's something to do. You just don't want to do what there is to do, right? And secondly, because they're envious. We are so envious of that. What do you mean you have nothing to do? I wish I had nothing to do. Look at my list. You know, this is things to do. Oh, to have those days when it's hot boring and there's just nothing to do that's my that is my uh, fantasy the day where there's nothing to do how great that would be but there's another thing about the other side of the coin is that um, we often find ourselves doing things that we don't need to do i remember working at this place where the secretary had um uh, one of the secretaries had above her desk this sign that said um a failure to plan on your part does not constitute an emergency on mine. <laughs> like, I love that. She was a very efficient secretary because she didn't do the things that everybody wanted her to do. She did the things that she knew she had to do. So they would come up and look, I need to get this right away. This has to get out. Or I need that report. Or, or if we don't get this contract in the mail today, or we have to call this client right now. And she would look at him and point to the sign. <laughs> you know, hey, pal, just because you didn't do your job, don't expect me to come and bail you out. Uh, there's a, a guy, his name is, I think, uh, Leo Babauta. I think that's how you say his name. I'm not really sure. Anyway, I was reading um, some things about uh, he was writing on productivity in the workplace. 
and he says, quit doing unnecessary tasks is one of the things. Define what your goals are and then achieve those goals. Because if you don't, somebody will always come up to you and make you want to do their work. She said productive people, the most productive people, are those who refuse to do any work that does not move them forward toward their own goals. I think part of the reason that we are so busy is that we're often doing things we shouldn't be doing. We spend a lot of time focusing on the unnecessary and forgetting about the essential. Knowing the difference between what is um, essential and what is dispensable is critical, not only in work but in all of life. In the gospel lesson, there was a little story that preceded our lesson. It's not in your reading this morning. Um, I would urge you to grab your bulletin, if you will, because we're going to kind of look at this text in, in a close way. But in the gospel story that just precedes this, um, Mark tells us that Jesus has taken his friends on a journey. They're hiking. They're, um, they're walking from town to town. And they're traveling in northern Israel. So they're going about from place to place, uh, walking on long, dusty roads, uh, and just journeying through. Um, and as they're walking along and near this town of Caesarea Philippi, he asked, he asked them a question. He said, who do people say that I am? That is, you know, what's the word on the street about me? Are there any rumors going around? And, and it turns out there are lots of rumors. His friends begin to tell him, remember, he's, he's traveling with 12 men. There are 13 of them. And, and these 12 men begin to spurt out. So, you know, like, oh, you're not going to believe what people are saying. Some think that you have, um, like, you're like somebody who's returned from the dead. Maybe John the Baptist or one of the prophets. And some think that you are Elijah, descended straight from heaven. I mean, this is how popular Jesus is getting. He's, um, his fame is spreading all over the area, and there's this rampant speculation about who he is. And Jesus, of course, looks at his friends and he says, well, what about you? Who do you think that I am? And Peter, who's the, the, the sort of spokesperson for the friends, he jumps up and he says, you are the Messiah. You're the anointed one, the Christ. And, um, and so in three of the four Gospels, we have the same story. And in each one, it is Peter who speaks up and says it. And in each one, he says the same thing. You're the Messiah. In Mark, that's all there is. The walk continues. Who do you say I am? You're the Messiah. Good, let's keep on going. And they continue to walk along. In, in Matthew, it gets a little bit, and, and also in Luke, get a little more elaborate. But in Mark, just, just curious, what's going on? Now, look at the very beginning of the passage. Will you, in the, in the gospel reading today, it begins at verse 31 in yours, doesn't it? Is that correct? Yes? Okay, verse 31, then he began to teach them, that is, Jesus began to teach them, that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he said this, all, he said all this quite openly. There's a little word in the English language that's in that that sentence there, that is so easy to pass over. It's the word must, M-U-S-T. In, in Mark's original Greek, it's smaller. It's the word day. Uh, you would transliterate in English, D-E-I. And it means it is necessary. Some translations actually render the son of, it is necessary for the Son of Man to um, undergo great suffering and so on. It was necessary. It needed to be done. It seems that Jesus has his own list, you know, his, I can just see it, to do, you know, and right at the first top of the thing, um, suffer, uh, be rejected, die. These are all right here, the top three things on the list. Undergo great suffering, be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, 
and be killed and after three days rise again. Suffer, rejected, die. This is news to his friends. They have never seen the list. These 12 guys that are following him around have no idea that these items are even on the list. In fact, they are so far removed from their idea of what should be on the list that it is shocking news to them. This is not the way you do Messiah. Now remember, they've been traveling around. They've been, Jesus has been teaching and preaching. He's been doing these crazy miracles, healing people, casting out demons. He fed 4,000 people with seven loaves and a few small fish. I mean, he is popular beyond measure. He is wildly popular, famous. He's a prophet or or somebody come down from heaven. Suffer? Be rejected? Be murdered? No. No. This This is not what is happening. This is not going on. And he says, it is necessary. It must happen. I don't know what you do when your friends say stupid things. (laughs) But if you're a good friend and your friend says something that is just kind of, you know, really crazy, you know what you do. You, You grab them by the arm and you kind of take them off to the side. And you say to them, don't say that. That That's not helpful. That's not smart. I mean, it can be something small, like they say, you know, oh, I'm going to go out with this guy. And you're like, come here. No, no. Let me tell you, he is a loser. You are not going out with him, right? Like, that's what a good friend does. I mean, it might be somebody says, oh, you know, my life has no meaning or purpose. You pull him aside and you say, that's not true. You straighten him out. And Jesus had at least one good friend, a friend that doesn't let friends say things they shouldn't say. Look at verse 32. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. At least one good friend. At least one friend. I hope you have one friend in your life who will take you aside and rebuke you when you say something you shouldn't say. When, you, when you're going off the... Peter took him aside. Proslabaminas. He takes him aside. This is, um, this is not to, um, you know, gently... This is sort of to grab somebody by the arm. To take, to take towards yourself. He takes him aside. Let's get off here into a quiet place and began to rebuke him. This is speaking to somebody with a finger out kind of rebuke. You, you remember that. You've been rebuked a time or two? Oh boy, I've been rebuked on many occasions. <laughs> rebuked. This is the same word that, that Mark uses of Jesus rebuking the wind and the waves. You remember the story. He's on the sea, the wind and the waves, a great storm, everybody thinks they're going to die, and Jesus rebukes the wind and the waves. Stop. This is the same word Jesus uses, or Mark uses of Jesus, when he rebukes the demons who speak to him for people, and he tells them to be quiet. He rebukes the demon. And Peter takes Jesus aside and says, stop. No more of this nonsense. This is not the Messianic program. This is not the way you do it. Look at the next verse, verse 33. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Same word. He rebukes Peter. And he said, get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Peter rebukes Jesus. Jesus rebuked Peter. 
And then notice, he brings the whole lot of disciples in. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the scene has changed, right? Mark says he, that Peter moved him off to a side. Now they're coming back together. Jesus turns, looks at Peter, calls the other disciples in, and then calls him Satan right in the midst of them. What a stunning reprimand. You are not thinking the thoughts of God. You are thinking the thoughts of humans. You are trying to act like a leader, not a follower. Did you hear what he said? Get behind me. Get behind, not in front of. You are not the leader of this group. You are a follower. Now follow. A stunning reprimand. The cross is necessary. It is required. And while this whole kind of violent argument is going on, Mark, again, so deftly and so subtly, just changes the scene a little bit more. All of a sudden, we realize that they're walking along. They've pulled apart. They've come back together. And look, there's a crowd up ahead. And he calls his disciples, Jesus does in verse 34. Look at this. He calls his disciples in the crowd. And the crowd with the disciples, and he said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. There's a crowd. Of course there is. There's always a crowd. Jesus is moving from place to place, feeding people with somebody's lunch, healing somebody who's had some disease for years, opening the eyes of the blind. Of course there's a crowd. And they all went in on what he's got going they come, they're, they're close by. They, they want to, he is good and authentic and he's powerful. Probably somebody come down from heaven. And he does something shocking. Not only has he revealed his own job description, his own to-do list, he's given them theirs. All these people who want in on the Jesus movement. Here's what he says to them. You want in on this. You, you think this is like a good thing. You, you want to follow me? If any wants to become my follower, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. It begins with self-denial. For this, these people, yes, you won't get to what you want. This is not about your program or your agenda. This is about you setting aside your agenda and following me. He says to them, follow me. If you're following, you're not leading. (laughs) I mean, I'm not real bright, but I'm that bright. I know the difference between those. You can't be the leader and the follower. When I was a a doctoral student, we had these courses on leadership. I had to read all these books on leadership. They nauseated me. They were all about, you know, how you're to be this, you know, this strong leader. And I'm like, but we're not leaders. We're followers. St. Paul knows this. He says, follow me as I follow Christ. That we are, we are following Jesus. Thirdly, he says to them, take up your cross. Oh, now for us, a cross is beautiful. You know, wear them around our necks, put them in our ears, whatever, tattoo them on our bodies. You know, people put crosses everywhere. I don't have a cross tattoo, just in case you're wondering. Anyway, he, 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 we, we want the cross on everything, and cross on the building, and on the walls, crosses, crosses. In the ancient world, the cross was horrible. It, it was a sign of the worst type of death a person could imagine. The Romans are the ones who invented it, and they even reserved it only for people who were insurrectionists. Only people who would, who would try to threaten the power of the Roman government. Not for like common thieves and criminals. And here's how it worked. You would be beaten within an inch of your life, stripped completely naked. 
no, no clothing on you at all, and then you were hung in, on the city streets until you died of asphyxiation. You couldn't breathe any longer. And then birds would come, fly down, and peck out your eyes, and dogs would eat your flesh from your, your corpse that hung there. And in the ancient Near Eastern world, one of the worst things that could happen is that you would die and not have an honorable burial. That if you didn't have an honorable burial, your whole life was for nothing. Jesus says to people who think like this, come, give up everything. Absolutely everything. All your hopes and dreams, your aspirations, and follow me. You think I'm a prophet? You think I'm someone coming down from heaven? You think you want in on this? Great. Here's the test. Self-denial. Obedience. Death. I don't know about you, but I don't like self-denial. I'm quite good with comfort. I'm I'm very good with comfort. I like to comfort myself. Um, You know, it's it's what we do, right? Um, I want to live a life of ease and, and live to be a very old man. And die in a warm bed having had my last glass of bourbon. That's my, you know, that's what would be wonderful, you know. It would be a a great way to kind of, um, you know, have a swan song on my way out. But I have yet to have the life of ease, so I'm not looking forward to it. It's not going to happen. This is not the way we get, this is not the promise that we have. And if we're going to be disciples of Jesus, we have to do what he says. Discipleship means... A life of obedience. It means embracing self-denial and suffering. It means taking up our cross and follow him. It is not about a soft civil religion. It's not about an hour a week on Sunday. It's not about feeling warm and fuzzy when we hear God mentioned in the Pledge of Allegiance. It's about a whole life. It's not about asking God to bless what we are and who we are and what we like so that our self-esteem can be boosted. It's not about that at all. It's about following Jesus, about self-denial, obedience, and death to self. Giving up rights and focusing on responsibilities. Being a Christian is about saying, I'm sorry when we're wrong. (laughs) And we ought to say it a lot because I know we're wrong a lot. I'm sorry. I was wrong. I had a husband sit in my office one time. Crying, his wife was leaving him, going through all kinds of things. And I said, you know, what have you done? And he detailed some of the horrible things. And I said, have you said I'm sorry? No. Okay, well, here's where you start. You go home and you say, I was wrong. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And he still wouldn't do it. Couldn't say I was wrong. It's saying, I forgive you when somebody does something to hurt us. It's about not holding grudges, but letting go. Forgiveness is a lot of things, but at least it is this. At the very minimum, I think it is this. It is giving up one's right to get even. Giving that up to God. I give up my right to get even. Christianity is about forgiveness. It's about about the needs of others and focusing on the needs of others before we focus on the needs of our own. It's about a life of compassion and service and an awareness of God's presence all the time. And I'm not saying that our own needs are unimportant. We are. We are valued by We are loved by God. Things that matter to you matter to God. You ought to know that. But it's about 
realizing that in pursuing life, it's not about pursuing the things that we want that make us happy. It's about pursuing God and allowing God to make us happy. That happiness comes not from getting, but from giving. This is what Jesus says, right? What will gain a person if they gain the whole world? What will a private person if they gain the whole world and lose their own soul, their own life? But whoever gives up their life for my sake and for the gospel, they'll find it. We have to remember. Here's what it is. We have to remember that there is a, a necessary way. And there is not an easier one. There is a necessary way and not an easier one. Some things in life are fun and easy to do. <laughs> Others are not. And sometimes we have to make lists of things that we have to do. But here's what I'm urging us all to do. The next time we make a list, you know, in our head or on paper or whatever, ask ourselves where on that list is self-denial and obedience and death to self. Where on that list are these things? Or is it really all about me and my and mine? Or things I have to do for other reasons? Am I doing things that are necessary? Am I thinking about the things of God or the things of humanity? I came across this prayer um, uh, by Catherine of Siena, a very old prayer, written, I think, in the 13th century. And, and, and she writes this in this prayer. Holy Spirit, come into my heart. Draw me to thee by thy power, O my God, and grant me charity with filial fear. Preserve me, O ineffable love, from every evil thought. Warm me, inflame me, with thy dear love. Listen to this. Fill me, inflame me with your love. Save me from every evil thought. And every pain will seem light to me. Every pain will seem light. Catherine of Siena, I'm almost certain it was her, prayed for disease. She prayed to get sick. Sick unto the point of death. She prayed for illness so that she might experience the mystery of the presence of God. We always pray for healing. <laughs> She's praying for the opposite. Why? Because the closer I get to God, the more I realize that every pain should seem light to me. Or it will seem light to me. There are some things that are necessary. There are some, many, that are not. We must focus on the former, especially when it comes to following Jesus. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.